We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Spinning what, 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 is Sabonis. Oh, oh, Miles oh, Turner bringing that smoke. And now McDermott again right to the rim with authority. Robin gets around. Blumford skies high for the jam. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Pacer Nation, what's going on? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. I'm your host for today's show, Alex Golden, and I'll be joined today by the one and only Michael J. Focci. Focci, what's going on, brother? Alex, we have all seen better times, but I'm telling you one thing, the best is yet ahead. If, if you're convincing yourself anything otherwise, then it's not going to be fun watching this basketball team because we need to weather the storm. Help is on the way. Let's just get ready for the next game. Oh, absolutely. And if you've seen the Pacers have a three-game losing streak, it doesn't happen very often. They get ended very quickly. This is a team that wins a lot of games. Yes, they might have a couple of bad spots. You know, that they've gone four and eight in their last 12 games. It's not been pretty, but they've been playing stiffer competition, and they lost a guy and lost a quality starter. So I'm not too worried about this team. I think Bjorkren is still the right coach for this job. I just I don't want to overreact, Fachi, until we get to see this team fully healthy with Karis LeVert and TJ Warren. Exactly. I mean, how alarming would it have been if we traded Victor for, you know, LeVert who hadn't played and then all of a sudden got a lot better? I mean, that that's not going to be the case. It's not like Vic was some cancer on the court or anything of the sort. I mean, that's, that's a real good player that the Pacers lost. And, you know, when we get LeVert on the court, it's going to be great. It really is for the next next two plus seasons. But for now, I mean, yeah, how many teams are really playing really well without two of their better players? I mean, and, and Warren's interchangeable if he's, you know, potentially your top scorer, second best player, third. He's all over the place of being one of the Pacers' better players. Yeah, and I'll tell you this. <laughs> for anybody that's upset that we don't have Oladipo anymore, just go look at some of the Houston Rockets mentions right now. Some of the games Oladipo has had there, 
They're like, please flip him for an asset. Maybe we can get two second round picks. I mean, that's some of the stuff I'm seeing right now. So um, I, I don't think Victor's value is that bad, but I definitely think that, you know, thinking he would have been the answer to us being a little bit better or much better is maybe a little bit better is true, but much better is not the right answer. But um, I, I do want to kind of uh, transition here into a little bit of a serious note, Fachi. As we found out yesterday that assistant coach Bill Baino has resigned from the Pacers, citing mental health issues. And so Bill Baino, as many people know, has been around this team since McMillan was hired, was brought over from Toronto, did a great job with player development. And unfortunately, Fachi just, you know, gone through a lot the last year. And it just feels like he just and felt like, you know, 58 years old, like he was just overloaded with everything and so honestly i i just wish baino the best of luck going forward and, and giving him well wishes and prayers hoping that he's able to overcome this mental um health issue because it's a serious thing it really is and there's not one part of me that blames him doubts him anything of the sort because this has been a really tough year for a lot of people i mean they mentioned that in the past two years Bill's lost both of his parents. He's lost numerous close friends over this pandemic. I mean, this can really, really get to you to the point where to try and stay locked in and focused on basketball and push everything aside is not an easy task. And we don't want people to do that. I mean, it's been great that we've seen guys like DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love come out and speak on mental health because a lot of people are affected by this every day. And I'm the one part that I could be glad in is that People are being more upfront about this. And I, there's bigger stuff than basketball to the point where I would love to hear, whether it's a couple months from now, next year, that Bill's in a better place. And if yeah. that can happen, I promise you, life will go on and, and it'll be much better for him because in the grand scheme of things, this is a game. We love it very, very dearly, but it's a game. And it'll never take the, It'll never overtake life. Well, yeah, and I think it's really brave of, of Baino to make this decision because, I mean, if you're in the middle of an NBA season, you're an NBA coach, it'd be tough to leave that. Even if you're going through some stuff, like it could have been partially part of his escape from what he was going through, you know, just going to practice every day, working on different things. But he probably just felt like, you know, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he's so he's been such a great developer, such a great assistant coach, so active. I just feel like he probably felt like if I can't give it 110%, I probably shouldn't be doing this. I need to get my mental health back in order and, and overcome these issues that I'm having. And I think really it just, it says a lot about Bano and the kind of person he is. And it says a lot about the Indiana Pacers, you know, being able to work with him, letting him step away, maybe giving him a couple of weeks off to see if he can kind of regroup. And it just wasn't working for him. So um, I, I just really don't know what else to say. Just, you know, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough decision for him to make, but at the same time, I, I, I'm proud of his bravery. It, you know, it takes a lot of guts to do that. And, Honestly, I just I just want Baino to be able to overcome all this. Yeah, and the fact that the Pacers did give him the initial two weeks off is is great to see that, you know, this was a really thought-out situation. And if, if he clearly is not in the best place right now to the point where I, I respect it, you know, get yourself taken care of. That is the number one priority, and that, that's got to be. It's great to see from an organizational standpoint that the Pacers were completely – you know, open to say, hey, do what do what's best for you. And you know, Justin Holiday was someone that that cited Bano's positivity and energy on a on a daily basis was just all he ever really wanted was the best for the guys in the team. And like you mentioned, if he's unable to be himself through that, then 
he needed to address it. And we, we've talked about before how even offline, how much work he's put in with Sabonis yeah. over the years. And it's shown this is a guy who's rounding into a two-time All-Star. So I'm sure he will be missed. We're very appreciative for his contributions, but also we're very hopeful that he can, uh, you know, take care of this and be in a much better place the next time we see him. Oh, yeah, 100%. The Pacers, um, according to J. Michael, will look to fill this uh, vacancy on the coaching spot um, on, the, on the bench over there. So it'll be interesting to see what exactly the Pacers do, how quick they make a hire, and how much they go through the process. Um, the only name that I can think that might be possibly tied to this is Danny Manning, just because he's the name that was mentioned early in the, um, in the, in the offseason as a possible candidate to be on the coaching staff. Now, I don't know if he'll want to give that up. I don't even know if he's head coaching anywhere. He could be head coaching still somewhere. I don't know. But I think he did get let go by Wake Forest. I, I honestly did not keep up with any of that Danny Manning stuff. So uh, don't want to act like I know what I'm talking about. But that's the only name that I've ever heard tied to the Pacers that never was hired besides, you know, the Caleb Canales and, you know, Calvert Chaney, those kind of guys that are on the roster. So um, on the coaching staff. So anyway, Fachi, let's go ahead and take a quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about five different things, the Pacers um, or five different questions for the Pacers heading into the future and in the present. So we're going to talk about that in just a quick second. All right, Fachi, we are back and we are going to talk some questions here about the Pacers overall, Recent play, maybe some future stuff, but not not too much future stuff. But the first question, Fachi, is what is the cause of Malcolm Brogdon's recent struggles? Like, <laughs> uh, we talked a lot about Sabonis on the podcast that I did Sunday night with with Mark and Red, but didn't get in, into a lot of Malcolm Brogdon. So do you have any ideas why, why the Pacers or why Malcolm Brogdon has been struggling so much? I really don't. I, know, I mean, obviously, at times, you know, players go through certain stretches where they're hotter than, than other times, and – Sometimes they're just colder, and this is a cold stretch right now for Brogdon. I mean, outside of that Memphis game, to just focus on you know the last three games, which happen to all be L's by the Pacers, I mean, Brogdon's numbers have dipped from 22 points per game down to right around 13.5. It's 13.3 to be exact. His assists have dropped from over seven to right around four, and the shooting percentages, oh, my God, they've plummeted. Over mm-hmm. that stretch, Brogdon's shooting 34%. 16% from three. Ooh. So that's get that's getting hideous. This was a guy that, you know, before was basically shooting, you know, somewhat close to 40% from three on the year. I mean, this it's it, it's been pretty rough. And Brogdon is a guy that Alex, we've talked about. We've been petitioning for him to be an all-star. So the Pacers don't have the luxury without Levert and Warren to also be having another one of our best players slumping because Sabonis, come on, love him. The man cannot shoulder a team by himself. No, he he can't. And Sabonis has actually been struggling maybe just as much as Brogdon, maybe not nearly oh, yeah. as much. Not as much, but close. Yeah, it's it's been close. And, you know, you think about it, over the last three games, who has Brogdon gone up against? It's been Drew Holiday, one of the best defenders in the league. Mm-hmm. Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball, who are two respected defenders. All defensive player for uh, for Bro- uh, Bledsoe. For Bledsoe, yeah, and I mean we know that we know that Milwaukee picked Bledsoe over Brogdon a couple of years ago, basically by allowing him to be sent here and be a trade, a sign and trade. So, um, I, you still can't take away the fact that Bledsoe is a good defender, and so is Lonzo Ball. And then you go look at Utah. I mean, Utah is the best team in the league right now. Their defense has been unbelievable. Gobert is just a force in the paint. You know, I mean, trying to score at the paint in the paint with Gobert on it is just impossible sometimes 
especially some of the way the Pacers ran their offense on Sunday. It was just awful, so stagnant, not getting him looks. And, you know, really, this is something I brought up last podcast. I don't mean to be repetitive, but I just feel like they got to figure out ways to get Brogdon more involved than just standing there and passing the ball to Sabonis and watching him, whether it's off-ball cuts, whether it's backdoor action. Like, they got to figure out a way to give Brogdon some more looks because, personally, the looks that he's getting are just bad takes. You know, trying to force layups over, over over other guys that are better than him defensively, you know, not creating the separation. Like, I get it. Like, you can challenge somebody. But, like, the one challenge I really liked, I think it was against Favors maybe. They called him for a, an offensive foul mm-hmm. in that Utah game. So, I mean, we're starting to see, you know, Brogdon, like you said, those numbers are dipping off way bad from three. And I'm just – I'm wondering if it's a couple of different things. You know, obviously – he, he dealt with that finger issue last year. I wonder how much that has uh, played, a, played a factor if it's come back. Maybe he's got some nagging injuries that they're not reporting, or I, I wonder possibly if he's just getting a little wore down because there's so many games. I mean, there's 14 games in the month of month of February. There was like 15 or 16 in the month of January, and, and there's you know pretty much playing every other night, and he's playing about 35 minutes on average a game. So maybe he's just wearing down because he's tired. I think that's the case because for a lot, for most of the, you know, I know the last few games haven't really been the case. Like in New Orleans, I mean, they, they elected to go with the bench for quite some time in that game uh, for, you know, Milwaukee was a blowout. Memphis, it was a blowout. But before that, I mean, Brogdon was playing some serious minutes. Like I believe like second in the league in minutes, he was a hundred percent top four. I know that, but I think it's just kind of, getting to the players. I think they're kind of wearing down a bit. And I think, you know, we've crossed into that. The Pacers are now, you know, 24 games deep on, on the season. That's that's a little bit more than a third of the way there. So you're getting there. You know, what turned into a small, what was originally a small sample size is now a third of the season. And when you're playing that many minutes, eventually, I think some nights you kind of come out flat and there's only, oh, so many nights Brogdon can play. I mean, I'm looking at it. Oh, my God. The month of January, it was 41 minutes, 46, 39, 39, 38. That's all in a row. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, those are some big time minutes. So I think we're seeing kind of a little bit of the highs and lows. And, you know, teams go on winning streaks, they go on losing streaks. And I think, unfortunately, Pacers are on the wrong end of streaking right now. But I think we're going to be able to write the ship. But it starts <laughs> with getting Brogdon back to all star form. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, if Brogdon's numbers go up, the Pacers are going to be fine. It's just, you're taking away basically all the production you got from Brogdon early on in the season. I mean, you go back and look at some of those games when he put up career highs, even though they were in losses, like he was just on fire. And I mean, I felt like every three he took was, you know, a make. It just felt like he could get to the free throw line. He was going to hit his free throws. I mean, there was that reverse layup that always works so well. And maybe it's a little bit of defenses just being a little bit more stiffer than the other competition. I'm sure it's a lot. There's just different factors. It's not one specific thing. It's not just the minutes. It's not just the defenses. I think it's everything just, uh, you know, piling up together. So, Brogdon, I'm hopeful that playing some weaker competition coming up in the next couple of weeks could really help him get back on track as we head into the All-Star break at the end of the month and beginning of March. That way, you know, that second half of the season, once we see who they play, what their schedule is going to look like, he is more rested and ready for for a chance to come back. And hopefully by that point we'll see Karis LeVert uh, somebody that we're not going to talk too much about on this podcast, but that is somebody I think, you know, whether it's Levert or Warren, like getting one of those guys back would be huge for this team. 
Uh, absolutely huge. It's just a great sign to hear that Levert has returned to the team. Still don't want to rush it, but just one of those great signs. You take the good news when you can get it and just know that he's going in the right direction. Absolutely. So let's move on to our next question, Fachi. And the next question that we're going to talk about is an issue that's been something that's lingering pretty much since maybe even going back to the Hibbert days. But will the rebounding problem ever be fixed, Fachi? <laughs> I don't think so. And that, it's so sad because it's this has plagued us for years. This is what the only thing I asked for basically in the offseason, other than you know more three-point shot attempts, the rebounding. It has to improve. The Pacers have been getting crushed on the boards for as for years now. But just to go through some numbers against the Jazz, out rebounded sixty to forty-five. Uh, the Pelicans out rebounded fifty to thirty-seven. The Bucks they were out rebounded in a game where you know I mean it's just the fourth quarter didn't even make a difference. But still against the Sixers out rebounded by eight. The Hornets they they ended up out rebounding them by one. But those are all losses right there. So yeah. you can't be out rebounded by fifteen in a game. I mean that's just that's twenty five percent. Yeah, that's that's minus thirty five if you add all those numbers up together. And total rebounds at the pace have been out rebounding. It's like I'm not necessarily saying they have to win each rebounding battle, you know, but like let's be like 58 to 55 instead of like 58 to like 38. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just the offensive rebounds have been the problem. Oh and giving up so many second op second chance points, like you know, the pace has already played kind of like this helter skelter defense where they're out there chasing guys off the three-point line and doing blow buys and stuff like that, and then once, you, once you're running out of the three-point shooter and you're trying to blow by him, well, if the shot goes long, well, now you're playing five-on-four for the rebounding battle, and that's the advantage to the offense. So, I I mean, there's more to it. I think there's a point I brought up last week. Maybe I can't remember. Maybe it was earlier this week. But um, I just remember, like, not seeing guys put their body into somebody when they box out. It's just like you can't just stand there and expect the ball to come to you. You have to hit somebody. And that's one thing Coach Bjorkman brought up today, which I thought was really impressive on why he's playing Goga Batadze more. He said Goga's been getting more minutes because he's done a good job rebounding. And if you watch Goga, he finds guys early. When the shot goes up, he's putting the body on somebody. He's not going to the ball. He's finding his guy and then going to get the ball. And I think that's a perfect way. Like maybe Sabonis, Turner, and some of the other guys can just take a little bit of a look at their young star. Not young star, but young <laughs> player in Goga. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I'm just, thinking, breaks. I'm just predicting the future for Goga, young star. But – you know, this young talent that's just getting back to the fundamentals. And Sabonis is a great rebounder. Turner's rebounding has been better over the last couple of games, even though, like, the overall team stats don't show it. His numbers have looked better. I just think that finding that guy early, like, this is something Bjork said he wants to work on on this road trip. So, hey, there's reason for hope. They're going to address it. Let's see if he can find a different way to do it because, clearly, um, under McMillan, under Frank Vogel, uh, sometimes those are a bit of an issue. Yeah, and that also starts with being more physical. I mean, Bjorken said he wanted to address rebounding and physicality, and that's kind of go a little bit hand-in-hand. Hand, but also, if you can improve the rebounding, I think you're going to improve the free-throw disparity, and that's been huge. I mean, against the Jazz, they only shot 18 free-throws. And if you think that's bad, against the Pelicans, they only shot 16 free-throws. And, Alex, if you think that's bad, <laughs> well, against the Bucks, they only shot 14 free-throws. And if you really think that's bad, <laughs> against the Hornets, they only shot 13 free throws. 
So it's just, <laughs> this team's not getting to the line enough at all. You no. get more rebounds, you'll draw more fouls, you'll go to the line more, you'll score more. And in some of these games, I mean, you're talking about the, they end up missing, you know, you only shot 16 free throws against the Pelicans. Well, you missed five of them and you lost by one. So it's like yeah. if you can really just uh, get this going, I think it can make all the difference, especially in close games. Well, that's a great point. And it's like the, the three-point shooting has not been great either over the last couple of games. And that'll go into my next question. So I don't want to talk too much about that. But the rebounding, it's just a team effort. It's not on Sabonis. It's not on Turner. Like anytime the Pacers lose a rebounding battle, everyone's like, oh, well, Turner's got to be better. It's like, well, you know, yes, he does. But so does Brogdon. So does Jeremy Lamb. So does Justin Holiday. You know, McDermott at times has probably been one of our better rebounders, which is just weird to think about, but he's yeah. he's been better at it than probably anybody expected. But it's just got to be a team effort. And, you know, if you're playing this type of defense, it's it's just got to be a lot more communication. And I think, you know, this is part of the problem with, you know, getting a new coach, getting a new system. It's all exciting at first, and then all of a sudden you get stiffer competition, you're playing more minutes, you know, guys are getting a little bit tired throughout the season. It's just – it's a long process, and if you're playing this style of defense, you're going to wear down a little bit more because it's it's asking a lot more out of you, and, and that's part of it. So, anyway, rebounding problems, will they ever be fixed? Who knows? It's the Indiana Pacers. Doesn't feel like it, but, hey, we can be uh, hopeful that maybe Bjorken can figure something out for for the for the upcoming uh, road trip and something they want to work on. So, question number three, Fachi. Um, we've talked about some of them, but what are some of the other major reasons for Indiana's overall drop-off in the last 12 games? Well, part of it that you touched on just now, it's, it's got to be the competition also. I mean, yeah, the Pacers can beat up on, on some of the, you know, lesser teams in the league, but the Jazz, I mean, let's be honest, they're having a great year. The Jazz have been, you know, flirted with the best record in the NBA. I believe they have the best record in the NBA right now. Uh, I, you know, I don't know if they'll stay there in the end, but the Jazz could easily be a top two seed out in the West. That, that says a lot. Then also, you know, the Pelicans right now, while they're not a good team, they're, they're playing good stretch of ball right now. So it's like, sure, the, the Pacers should have won that game. You know, it would have not to say should have. They could have won that game. Yeah. The Bucks. we feared that game to begin with. I mean, this is a really <laughs> good Bucks team. So between, you know, between the Bucks and the Jazz, it's, it's hard to really argue there. The Sixers is the game that the Pacers obviously should have had. And I know we've covered that. The fact that Embiid wasn't even playing and they melted down, that's unfortunate. But there's still a lot of other good players there. So, you know, look, you can make excuses about every single game you want, but it's always going to be easier to beat teams like the Orlando Magic. And, you know, I mean, just – I'm even looking at it. I mean, we beat the Rockets when things were not going well for them. And it, it's tough. I mean, there's a lot of good teams out there. And the Pacers right now, just having not been at full strength at all this season, is you're playing at 75% capacity against some really good teams. And let's not kid ourselves. We're just not there yet. Yeah. And, you know, you think about it like the wins. I put it out yesterday. They came against Memphis, who was on the second half of a back-to-back they beat Toronto after we lost them the first game. Um, they they escaped against Orlando. Like, that's a game they should probably not have won because they did not play very well in that game. And then they beat Charlotte in the um, the home and or the away and away game that they played against Charlotte. So you think about it like they didn't beat these great teams. And then they go out, they lose to um, they lose to the Clippers. That kind of started the whole thing. You know, losing to the Clippers was the big one. Then they lose to Toronto, lose to Dallas. 
even though Dallas has been playing well, they just outplayed the Pacers. Now, Miles Turner, they're not playing that game. So, yeah, the competition has been much different, and you mentioned it. They should have probably won that Philadelphia 76ers game. There's no reason they should have lost that game, but they did. And it's just one of those things that got to close out games, and that's one thing I don't think they're doing. They're not. It was, it was interesting because I started to do some uh, research into, like, quarters that really, like, hurt the Pacers. And, like, before the last – couple of games like you look and like it was the second quarter where the Pacers were just getting stomped by opposing teams benches and so I thought well maybe that's the bench problem and then you kind of do some research it's like well maybe it wasn't as bad as it looked but I was just kind of going back and looking at the second quarters of some of those games and it's like you'd see a big drop off there the third quarters have always been pretty solid for the Pacers and then it always usually comes down to the fourth quarter which obviously is the most important quarter of the game so I don't I don't know what exactly the Pacers have to do to right this ship but I definitely think as far as as far as the, um, the the concerns, you know, we talked about it off air a little bit. The three point shooting, just if you look at the overall efficiency of this team on both ends of the floor, it's taken a major drop. And I think you had some really interesting numbers on that. So, do you want to share those? Uh, can you repeat um, in terms of the drop off? Yeah, like you know, yeah. like like the the numbers of the of three point shots, like where we so, at against the league. So. Well, just in terms of everything, I mean, the Pacers now defensively, which had been basically our MO for the past, I mean, feels like forever. Pacers are 17th in the NBA in points allowed at, at basically 112 points per game. So the difference between, you know, what we're scoring and what we're giving up is is almost now identical. Uh, and then over the last few losses, the Pacers are averaging 106 points per game. That would only be better than teams like Orlando and the Knicks. Uh, I mean, it's it's that's not a category you want to be in. And Alex, just a, on an unrelated note, I mean, when you're talking about some of the quarters, I mean, we had complimented in the beginning of the year. The third quarter was no longer the third quarter. It was the Pacers were turning it around. Well, by five against, uh, not to go out of order, but against uh, you know the Pelicans, we were outscored by two. I know it's just two points, but that was a one point game. Against the Jazz, we were outscored twenty eight to twenty one. And then against Milwaukee, outscored 38-21. to 21. Those are all losses right there where the Pacers have been outscored in the third quarter. So I think what initially looked like at the beginning of the season, we were making great halftime adjustments. Something's changed a little bit lately, and the Pacers have been outplayed in that third quarter. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where it's like the Pacers have just got to figure out a way to – get back to the winning ways. And I think a lot of it also, I, I did touch on this last podcast. I don't want to get too much on it, but it's just the cutting. The offense has become so stagnant and I, I'll say it again. And I'll repeat myself multiple times until it gets fixed, but it's like, you can't rely on Sabonis to do everything. It's okay to have a Sabonis centric yeah. offense, but if you're just, Hey, post up the, the opposing team center, especially when it's like Rudy Gobert and Steven Adams, like even sometimes against Brooke Lopez and Giannis, like, that's not a good matchup. That's not a good offensive decision. Like that's a 50-50 chance to score when you could have long, lanky guys like Lamb and Turner cutting off of stuff. Even Justin Holiday is really long and lanky. He could be cutting off back screens and getting wide open layups. Like I, I don't I don't understand exactly what happened to the offense because if you go back and look at that game against Charlotte, the first one they won, that offense was clicking on all cylinders. And I think I think Charlotte got back in the game a little bit there. I can't remember. It's been so many games ago. But mm -hmm. the Pacers were up there just dominating. I mean, there's a video of the ball swinging around the horn to a Justin Holiday open three oh, in yeah. the baseline corner. It's like that is Pacers basketball. 
not pick and roll or dribble a handoff with Domas and then watch Domas work. Like, no, Domas is too good of a passer as well to be sitting there and just watching him work. No, it's true. And, you know, when we talked on the struggles of Sabonis and Brogdon lately, I mean, it's just Sabonis' stretch, you know, yeah, sure, there's going to be some games where, you know, you can put the team on his back, but that's not going to happen every single night to the point where the the last two losses, Sabonis is 10 of 32 shooting. And, Mm -hmm. look, you you don't want to pin it on one guy because this is a team game. But when we talked about the struggles of Brogdon also, I mean, the Jazz game, we saw Brogdon Sabonis combined for 14 of 39. It's impossible to win a game like that, especially against a really good team like Utah. So just to crunch some more numbers, you know, while we're at it, I mean, the Pacers are, we talked about defending the three-point line. That's been a major struggle. They've been one of the worst teams this year at defending the three-point line. And in terms of the field goal percentage allowed, 16th. You're so middle of the pack in terms of points per game let up. And fugal percentage allowed. And then you're, you're letting everyone score efficiently from three-point range. Alex, the only way that's going to pay off is if you are elite offensively. And this Pacers team is not. That's like for Brooklyn. We've seen that since they acquired Kevin Durant, you know, their, their offensive rating would be a record. It would be historical. But their defensive record, defensive rating would be historically bad. So yeah. they're able to make up for a horrible defense with an amazing offense. This Pacers team is not doing it on the offensive end to make up for being, you know, an average team defensively. No, and that's that's a fair point. And I think a lot of that goes back to the Brogdon struggles. Yes. Because if he's if he's playing at the level that he was just a couple of weeks ago, then you're not talking about this. And the, and the offense is probably higher. And so it just feels like all of Brogdon's looks have been really tough. There's been a couple – uncontested threes that he's missed but for the most part it just feels like some of the shots he's getting are just not there so um, we could go on for days about some of the struggles but I think one of the things you could do if you want to you know maybe see something different is make a change in the starting lineup and so there's debates on what you could do right now the Pacers are playing a pretty you know uh, standard nine-man rotation it's very consistent with the minutes I mean Bjorkman's riding the hot hand sometimes, you know, with my, with the fourth quarter against the Pelicans, rode the bench the whole time. And they got criticized for that, which was just idiotic by people to think the starters should go back in for the way they played. But, Fachi, should the Pacers make a starting lineup change? And if so, what is it? Man, I feel like we've already made a bunch of changes with, you know, Aaron Holiday in and out of the lineup. And, you know, we, we've been forced to do that with guys missing time. But I really like Jeremy Lamb in the second unit. I really did. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's easy to kind of point to, you know, him going to the starting lineup. Oh, man, you know, things haven't been as great since then. But I felt like I really – I think he went to the starting lineup, I believe, like the first game against Charlotte. Could mm-hmm. be wrong, but I believe that's when it was. And I just think that he was playing really well off the bench. And I would like to see him kind of return to that six-man role that we expect him to be in when guys like Levert and Warren come back. So I really like some of the looks that he was getting in the second unit. We really saw him play very well those first four games of the season. And looking at it now, yeah, that fifth game of the season against Charlotte is when he went into the starting lineup. And uh, it, it, I just don't think he's been as effective. He's still been a very good player. It's not like there's been a drop-off. But I just – I don't know. I liked. I don't think – it's there's nothing for him to blame. I just think that he's just played really well off the bench – I'd like to see it again if, if we're going to switch the lineup. Yeah, so if you take him off, who do you put in the starting lineup, Fletch? 
Well, that that's the thing is like, look, I don't know if we really have a better option. I just feel like right now, what are we doing with Aaron Holiday? Yeah. Like, what what do you do there? To it's it's like if you're going to stick them in the lineup, it almost feels starting lineup. It just feels like you're sticking them there just to do it. You know, but mm. I, I just feel like I like Jeremy Lamb off the bench better than I like him in the starting lineup. And it's not that, like I said, it's not that he is anything to blame at all, but that's kind of the situation where you either interchange one of those guys or I don't expect him to all of a sudden take Sumner from really not even playing and pl- plug him in the starting lineup. Well, let me go through my scenarios because there's some different things you could do. And so one of the things is, you could keep Jeremy Lamb in the starting lineup, and maybe you take out Justin Holiday and put in Doug McDermott because McDermott and Sabonis just have that great two-man tandem. And it does provide more three-point shooting, even though McDermott's not been like, you know, lights out from there, like 40-ish percent. But he's been he's been good, and he's been really good at attacking the basket. So I just think like maybe you get somebody that's not afraid to cut, somebody that will get off the ball movement. That's a good idea. If you want to keep – if you want to keep Justin in the starting lineup, it's kind of weird, but the the on-off numbers, I think, for Aaron and Justin have been much better. And so, like, you know, that would – maybe you could start Aaron and, and see if playing with his brother with the starters might – you know, it might be a better defensive matchup because Jeremy Lamb, while he's bigger, he's not a great defender. And Aaron, he showed a lot of defensive improvement in the bubble. And I just feel like under Bjorkman, he's been so hit or miss this year – and it's been oh, more yeah. missed than hit. Like, he's been really bad at some games. And it's like, I love Aaron Holiday, and I want to see him do well, but it's just like he's not been playing well. And then my third final option is you just go back to Edmund Sumner in the starting lineup with Justin Holiday. And I know that sounds weird, but it puts it puts Jeremy back on the bench in his rightful role that he'll probably get once Levert and Warren are back. So you get him acclimated playing with Doug, with Goga, with Aaron, and with McConnell. And I think that gives you more of a steady scorer out there in Jeremy off the bench going up against bench talent. Uh, McConnell is just an incredible leader off the bench. The energy is much needed. Goga's energy has been good off the bench. He's been that nice rim protector and rebounder for Sabonis and Turner to give them a break. And then, of course, you still have McDermott there, the solid veteran. And then, yeah, you add Aaron with that mix. But I think adding Sumner, because one thing this team needs is a little bit of life. It needs some energy. Who better than to provide a spark and someone that's going to cut, someone that's going to provide a spark, someone that's going to play 100 miles an hour to, to just change things up? Who, who better than Edmund Sumner? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but real quick, I'm sorry. I'm rambling here. But Edmund Sumner, not a great three-point shooter. He's not the greatest offensive threat. But defensively, he's not afraid to get into passing lanes. He's quick. If they want to play faster, I think he's the kind of guy that can help them play faster. And I just – I like his game. I'm not saying he's the answer because I feel like we talk about him all the time. He's clearly out of the rotation because they like this nine – these guys better, these nine better. But even if it's just 15 minutes, just start the man and let that offense start in the first and third quarters and then roll with the other guys. I don't care. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking about even if it's just 15 minutes. Alex, he's played a combined 10 minutes in his last three games. And yeah. what's even more puzzling – was he hits a three right before halftime against Charlotte, and then he doesn't come back in. Yeah, He played one minute. Uh, it was probably under a minute, to tell you the truth. But I know, when you're talking about bringing energy, it's not going to be from Aaron Holiday. I think that Sumner could bring that energy. Mm-hmm. I just think that that, that Aaron Holiday is not really uh, fitting into that, that spot of energy guy. But 
you know, obviously, yeah, he has played better with Justin Holiday. I like, I just like the option of Jeremy Lamb off the bench, making mm-hmm. a more balanced team to the point where I'm fine with putting Sumner in there. I think at this point we've seen enough Aaron Holiday this year. Not to say that we're giving up on him by any means, but we've seen enough where we shouldn't just expect that he's just going to turn it on. But Sumner, we have not seen enough of. I feel like th- there has been some flashes here or there, and it's not like he's just going to turn it on and be like a double-digit scorer. But there are certain things that he brings to the court that's very valuable. And I think, yeah, if you're going to give him 10 to 15 minutes, you could easily start him. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. And he could even start for Justin if you want to keep Lamb on the starting lineup because he's you know one of your top six players. Like you think he's the guy that you know, gives you the best chance to win. Like if you want to go that route, like that way you can put the holiday brothers back together on the bench. You can play Justin at the four a little bit, something that he did a lot last year and was really great at. So, I mean, there's different things they can do. I just, all I know is that like, it's, it's, it's gotta be one of those minor moves, whether it's Aaron, Doug or Edmund, I just think Edmund makes the most sense and it allows him to play a 10 man rotation, which would hopefully limit some of the amount of minutes that we're seeing overall, because, um, like I said, I think Brogdon looks tired. And if you can maybe trim down those minutes to about 34 a game instead of like 39, I'm, I, I think that that'd be better for him and maybe giving, you know, just giving him 34 and then Edmund the other 14 and then using the minutes elsewhere to, you know, divide up, they figure it out. But I, I, I just think that makes a lot of sense. But any other thoughts on the starting lineup? Yeah, Are you ready for I, our I, last question? I think question? the minutes need to be trimmed a bit for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so let's move on to our last and final question. And so, yes, guys, although we just stated last week that the Pacers should keep this core intact and, and, and grow together, the Turbonus numbers have indicated that the two aren't the perfect match, which I think we all kind of knew that anyway. But um, it's just not it's just not looked good, especially of late. And neither have the, uh, the, 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 the double bigs with Goga in there as well. So um, will they ever be a perfect match, Fachi, or do you anticipate trade discussions coming again this offseason? Oh, man, it, it never ends. It really doesn't. But, <laughs> yeah, the Turbonus combination, they actually have a negative on the court this year. It's negative 0.7, um, and they're over 500 minutes together. So it, it's disappointing, and it's, it's just we want this to work. And I think all Pacer fans have grown very close to both Sabronis and Turner. And we don't want to see any of them move. But long term, I think if you polled everybody confidentially, you know, maybe like they submitted a survey. Do you think this is going to work long term? Your name will not be on here. I think a lot of people would be in agreement. This probably is not going to work long term. And the Pacers are in that, that spot where it's like, we have good players, but how do you really break through playing this style? And I just think that eventually the rumors will come up again. I don't think the Pacers are going to make a move during the year because we're not there yet. We're not a trade away from winning you know, an NBA Finals this year. So I think it's something that they're going to visit in the offseason for sure. And I think guys like Miles you know, have, have very much had opportunity to shine this year. So if anyone like Boston was down on them, I think a lot of people are higher on Miles now, and I am not saying that I want to see him go. I'm just saying that I think Turner has only helped his case this year, and Sabonis has really played a really good year. But when you're talking about them playing together on the court is what we're talking about right now, and I just don't know if this is the answer long term. Yeah, I think the question you have to ask for the Pacers, like which which center – 
is the best option long-term going forward, which center gets you the most in return. And, and, and then you have to evaluate. So would, would, you know, whether they, so let's just put it this way. Let's say they think Domas is the better center going forward and helps them win the most, but they also think Domas gets them the most in return. Is that return greater than keeping Domas? And I think that's kind of what went into the whole Bradley Beal trade idea with Rhett. And I think that's actually something to monitor because look, I thought it was hilarious. Um, today I saw on Facebook, Pacers Facebook, that somebody from Boston shared something and it basically said the, the Celtics should go out and get Miles Turner. Oh, I and saw like, that. Oh yeah, it's so it's like, you know, I think his stock has definitely risen. I, I think what it really came down to with Danny Ainge not pulling the trigger was basically he didn't want to give the Pacers Gordon Hayward to make them better. That's yes. just what I think it came down to. It didn't have anything to do with not wanting Turner. They just didn't want to give up Gordon to Indiana when Gordon, the only other options he had were New York and Charlotte. They're like, why would we better a team to make or, or you know what I mean, and make ours worse instead of just letting him go to a team that's not going to really be a threat to us. So I think that's a lot of what went into it. And, you know, that's why he was trying to ask for more than what the Pacers were willing to give up, like a Warren or an Oladipo or, you know, another starter. So anyway, going forward, I just – this is a question. Like, it's going to be a question until the two are traded because with the recent play of Goga, he's proving that he deserves minutes too. Now, not saying that they can't figure it out and have three centers on the team, but at the same time, personally for me, I just don't understand how the Pacers, you know, make this work long-term. So, unfortunately, they're going to have to make a decision, and it's it's going to be hard. I, I want it to work out, Fachi. I really do. So do but I. I think at the end of the day, whatever happens in the playoffs will be the determining factor going forward this offseason. 100%. I think that the Pacers want to see at least as healthy of a, a roster for the playoffs as possible before they make any moves at all. Because if the Pacers can get out of the first round, hey, it's more than what we've done lately to the point where you got you to gotta be happy with that, knowing that, you know, Warren missed all the time, which, which could have affected seeding. Levert's missed, you know, a large chunk of the season in the end. will have missed most of the season. But you still want to see how this unfolds in the playoffs. And look, for all those Goga haters out there, unless you are a hardcore absolute hater, you have to admit he's shown some flashes lately. I mean, this is a guy that is playable. At one point, people were deeming him unplayable. Goga, he's shown some real positive stuff to the point where he's earned those minutes that he's been getting, and I, I want to see more of it. Because I, I would want to – obviously, you want to win as many games as possible, but I don't want to see a guy like Sabonis break down as the year goes on from playing too much minutes. So I'm happy with what I'm seeing from Goga. I think it's encouraging. And just to throw out some numbers over there, three-point-wise, has not been good. Has not. And I know most of his shots are point blank, but from two-pointers uh, on the year, he's 18 of 26, 69%. I mean, you got to kind of like what you're seeing. 11 blocks in 10 games this year, I like it. No, I do too, and you know it's it's one of those things, Fotch, where it's like I love Goga and I love Sabonis, and I think Turner's having a great year, and it's it's really hard to sit there and be like, which guy do you get rid of? Know. <laughs> you know, because you can't really. It, it's got to be one of the starters because they're going to get you the most in return. Goga's on too cheap of a contract, but I will say this: like if you look at Goga, he's really improved on his screen setting, three point shot. Has not come there, but I love his form. Like, it, I just think a lot of it is a mental thing. 
He rushes it sometimes, overthinks when he's shooting it. If he would just catch and shoot it kind of like Turner does when he's feeling confident, I think that you could see Goga become, you know, a combination of both Sabonis and Turner, not like at their both of their peak levels, but he does what they both do very well. He does that, you know, as part of his package, and it's good. It's not great, but it's good. And so overall, to me, Fotch, like I don't think Goga's the answer long-term, but you got to think Sabonis is about two or three years older than him. So, you know, maybe if you move on from one of them, you keep Sabonis, you maybe keep Turner, whoever, when their contract comes up, if you decide, hey, they're not worth it, we're going to put Goga in the starting lineup, that's another four years of Goga developing. And I'm not saying that's what you do, but it's just you got to keep that in the back of your mind because he is younger and the Pacers have his bird rights, so they're able to keep him for at least nine years total, you know, more than likely. So what they decide to do is up to them. I'll be okay, honestly, with whatever decision they make, as long as it's the right decision. Like, as much as it would kill me to see Sabonis go, who's my favorite player, if they get the right pieces back, then I think that that's you just got to be okay with it because you got to trust the process and you got to trust Pritchard is only trying to build this team um, to win a championship. And I mean, trading Sabonis would be gut wrenching for a lot of fans, but at the same time, if it helps them win, then, you know, you just got to trust they're doing the right thing. Of course. I mean, trust me, I, I still never really got over trading Jermaine O'Neal. But unfortunately, at the time, for <laughs> business purposes, it, I, I'm not over it. I'm not. But it was the right thing to do at that point. Jermaine was not able to stay healthy. His contract was way too much. The Pacers end up, you, you get uh, Roy Hibbert in the deal. You get TJ Ford, you know. TJ Ford or whatever, it didn't really work out. But Roy Hibbert was a really good player. And at, at times, depends what the package is. So we don't know what eventually the package is. If it makes sense, we'll have to put our, our fanhood, our love for these players aside. But for now, hey, let's not kick them out the door because there's a lot of basketball le left to play. So the last thing on Gogo over there, I like, I know I mentioned 11 blocks in 10 games. He's gotten whistled for fouls that I didn't think were fouls. But I think when you're essentially nearly a rookie, you're not going to get the benefit of those calls, but I saw him really challenge Rudy Gobert on a couple plays, really challenge Zion on a couple plays that even if he got whistled for, I thought to myself, I, I love the effort there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he's not afraid. That's what I love about him. Yeah. Zero fear to be dunked on. Zero fear to go at some of these superstar players. Gobert, Ben Simmons, Zion Williamson. These are guys that he's contesting. nice block on Simmons. Oh, it was beautiful, and he actually had a nice one on Zion that was called a foul, and I think exactly. he had a good one on Gobert. He did. You know what? And I was laughing because everyone's like, oh, they should have challenged that Zion call. It's like, look, the Pacers had two <laughs> timeouts left. The The fact of trying to win that one would be so incredibly difficult. And number two, if you kind of look at the end, his left arm did come down on I Zion's know. shoulder. So it very well could, could have been a foul that they called after it just was in the moment they called it. So you don't know what they were calling it on, but yes, I mean, it was a great contest. He got called for a foul. You live with it. He's a young player developing and growing. He fouled out of that game. They put Turner in the game and, you know, Turner had a chance to win it there at the end. So, you know, Goga put this team in a good spot in that game and Goga continues to develop. I love Goga. I could talk about him all the time because he's really fun to watch. He might be easily the most fun pacer to watch right now just because it's new, it's exciting, and you're seeing him develop. But at the same time, you know, uh, I'm fine with just 10 minutes a game because <laughs> for the most part, he does have some struggles out there that are uh, 
they're good learning experiences, but they're not something you want to watch for 30 minutes a game. Oh, I, I completely agree. I, I know. I just little by little, you know, in, in 10 minute doses, I like what I'm seeing. I don't want to go go overload, but Hey, when, when the timings fit, you know, give him more and more minutes, give him more opportunities, let him be able to get that confidence going from three point land. Because if he could, if he could be playing, if we need him to play meaningful minutes down the season and he can get that confidence up now, I feel good with that because at times, you know, if you don't play, you just throw someone in there. How are you really going to expect the most out of them? So it's good that he's finally being able to get more opportunities on a more consistent basis lately. Absolutely, Fachi. So that wraps up our five questions. Are there any other thoughts you have before we uh, wrap up this podcast? I would just say, guys, the sky is not falling. This game against Brooklyn is not make or break. There are teams that are, you know, just trying to stay above water. And right now, unfortunately, the Pacers, they're a 500 team. They are. That's what it is. But if we had Warren and Levert, and I know we could say this all day, <laughs> things would be different. The Pacers have undergone undergone a lot of changes, and they're still 500. The East is top-heavy. The bottom of the East is not good. We will not miss the playoffs, okay? We just need to just Bold continue. take. Oh, yeah. Yes. I, I want that in writing. Anyone can get it right. I'll put it in writing. We will not miss the playoffs. We just <laughs> need to keep going the course. One game, a win against Brooklyn, I really think it change it all because all of a sudden you're going against Detroit. You're going again against Atlanta right now who has no DeAndre Hunter. There's a winnable stretch coming up. There is. We just need to get there one game at a time. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried about Trey Young in that game because oh, we don't have anybody that can guard year. him. Yeah, it's <laughs> I have PTSD from that game, Fachi. Yep. But, you know, I think really just getting a couple days off here, I think about close to three days, maybe a little bit more in, in total hours, um, the Pacers got a break before playing their game against Brooklyn. So I think that's really good for them mentally. And, and they were able to get a practice in. Now, we know that Bjorkman does not practice a ton with this heavy schedule, but – any kind of practice, I think, is just good for this team to address, like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, physicality and rebounding. So that's what I'm hoping for, um, just an improved Pacers team, and um, hopefully we can get ourselves on a winning streak and all this negative talk will come to an end because it's not fun to talk for 40-plus minutes about negative things and, and things the team can improve on and long-term stuff because, really, I've been enjoying the way this team has been playing for the most part of this season and, and how close these games have been. And, um, yeah, I mean, this is this is a team, like, that's a thing too, Fachi. Like, if this team was losing by 30 every night, then I'd understand why the sky is falling. But these are, they're still in the games they're losing exactly. despite playing bad. Exactly. You talked about before, Miles Turner had a, a real good shot to win it against the Pelicans. Oh, my God. This whole episode would be different. I mean, even the past episode would be different. The, the Milwaukee game, yes, I get it. It, it was bad. It was vicious. But the Pacers just pounced on Memphis the game before that. You know, I mean, it's like that was a really good win. And against Utah, the Pacers were really in that game. Like, they really were. I mean, they ended up losing by eight. But that was a real close game. And that was, I mean, the Jazz, did 19 and five. They had been smoking teams. So it's just like, I think that the Pacers played that game pretty well to the point where given the amount of players and who they had available against you know, the Jazz, I thought they played pretty well to the point where, yeah, you don't want to pat yourself on on your back for losses, but they're not getting blown out outside of that Memphis game. Even the – I mean, just all those games, even against Charlotte, they had a good shot. You know, it, it's – we're going to be all right. 
Absolutely, Fachi. Well, make sure you guys check us out on Twitter at setting the pace three. Fachi's at underscore FACCI. I'm at Alex Golden NBA, and we are super excited because either tonight or tomorrow we're going to debut our brand new setting the pace logo. So be on the lookout for that. And if you guys aren't aware, this is the last episode in the hundreds. We are at episode 199. So the next time we record, it'll be me and Fachi with episode 200. We are working diligently on getting a special guest for that episode. Um, it's still in the works. Might not happen on episode 200, but hopefully in the future. So Fachi, I mean, I'm really excited about um, episode 200, though, even if we don't get our special guest. Oh, of course. You, you just never know. So you're going to have to stay tuned and find out. But yeah, episode 200. Oh, man. I mean, a lot has happened in between. A lot of awesome guests. You know, a lot of people have, have had podcasts of their own and, and shut it down early on. But we continue to keep coming at you with new episodes on a weekly basis. And, and for all you listeners, I'm beyond thankful for you guys tuning in. Yeah, well, I mean, we could keep doing it if it wasn't. I mean, we could keep doing it even if you guys didn't listen. But you guys encouraging us by listening to the show, interacting with us on social media, all that stuff. It really makes it more exciting for us to do the podcast because it gives us that drive to continue to provide content and things to talk about that hopefully you guys enjoy and get your minds thinking. And we love hearing from you. So if you guys ever hear us on the pod and think, hey, I'd like to talk to them about that, hit us up at Setting the Pace 3, our personal um, Twitter accounts. We love talking with you guys, interacting with the listener and the fans is probably the best part of doing this whole gig, Fachi. And uh, yeah, so I mean, like you said, crazy to believe we're already at 200, but it's been super fun and uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to continue on and reach 300 by next year. It's been quite the ride. 300 is, is the next countdown. Let it begin right after Thursday's episode. Absolutely. So, all right, everybody, we will talk to y'all later. Um, we have three words for you. Fachi, hit the people. Let's go Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.